Welcome to the Clarity Advisor Show, where you'll learn how to grow your team today. Join Ken Trupke and his guests as they discuss what works and doesn't work to grow your team in today's world. And now, your host, Ken Trupke. Hello, and welcome to the Clarity Advisor Show. Every team has a culture, and it may be somewhat unintentional and random, but hopefully it's intentional and thoughtful. Culture matters because it signals to your teammate what is desired and what behavior is unacceptable. My guest today is America's chief culture officer. James Mayhew trains and coaches teams on why culture matters and how to improve your culture to get better results for your business. Please welcome Coach James Mayhew. Hey, Ken, thank you so much. What an honor it is to be here. And I just have to say, I love the name Clarity Advisors because it's not just a description. It's like it's an action too. I I just think it's cool. So thank you. Yeah. The idea is that we're going to bring clarity to some, you know, tricky, complicated problems that there's a lot of wisdom out there and we just need to apply that and think things through and get to some answers. So let's just jump right in, James. So who do you help and what do you do for them? Yeah, well, it's a good question. And, and again, where I'm starting with is the concept of working with small to medium-sized businesses. So the sweet spot for me is somewhere between, say, 50 employees up to around 300 or so. Um, and that is really for where we go in and help them design, define their culture. And so uh, when I'm when I'm working with them, what we want to be able to do is give them a structure for their culture to be a performance accelerator instead of maybe a performance detractor, because there's some mistakes that people make. They're well-intended mistakes, but they still do make some of those mistakes. And uh, that's been just a really passion area for me since I started this. Yeah, great. I appreciate that. So what what makes you unique? And and then tell me a little bit about the chief culture officer acronym or uh, moniker rather. Yeah, well, I actually owned that. I mean, I was a chief culture officer for a very, very fast growing company um, years ago. So when I got my start into this uh, in 2000, roughly around 2012. But prior to that, with the same company, I had started as a marketing specialist, uh, had helped them develop um, marketing materials, photography, videography, things like that. This was an e-commerce business. Uh, sitting in a cornfield in rural eastern Iowa. And uh, they were having just major success. And when I started there, I think I was employee number 20 or 21, somewhere in that area. When I left um, six years later in 2015, we had grown all the way to 150-ish people. And I think that started to come down a little bit too. But the, the whole start came from me saying yes. And it's one of the few times where I really just stepped into it. Uh, we were having a meeting at the company and uh, we were talking about this new role that was was being imagined by our, our founder and CEO. And as he described it, I remember thinking, yeah, that that's kind of cool. That sounds like somebody else. And, and I hope they find the right person for it. I was pretty happy being a content team leader at that point. And uh, some weeks had gone by and and he came back into the room at a, at a future meeting and he said, you know, my thinking on this has evolved. I actually see this as a leadership role. And he kind of began to describe it. And he he closed by saying, if anybody is interested, uh, I want you to 
you know, come on in and talk to me. And so after that meeting, uh, I walked into his office and I, I said, hey, is this a good time? And sat down and we shut the door and, and I said, listen, I want to throw my hat in for this job. And I said, I'm probably not the person that you were thinking of, uh, but here's, if, if we were to do this, if I was to take this role, I think here's the three things we need to do. And I just named them off quick. And uh, he was a great poker player uh, in, in the sense of you could never really read his his reaction. And so he kind of had this little curl in his in his uh, smile on the corner of his mouth there. And and he leaned it forward and he said, you know, you're the person I wanted for this role, but I wanted you to come to me versus me coming to you. And I said, OK. And so the conversation just evolved from there. And so um, I, I started out as a vice president of our mission and culture we really didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what the word culture was. Uh, and I didn't understand the application really at that time, but I was starting to, I was starting to grab it because we had had some pretty significant bumps in the road. This was a family started business, friends and family working for the company. There was a lot of ups and downs. And um, uh, there was a point too, prior to me taking on that role where I'm sending out my resume. I'm thinking this isn't where I want to be. And, and what, what happened from that was uh, within a year, we restructured a bit because we were growing and I moved into the C-suite. Uh, there was the CEO, the CFO, and then the chief culture officer. And that just completely changed the dynamic. And we were talking about the complex and all the things that the, that the grounds were going to look like in the future. And then my job was really to be another set of eyes and ears inside every department working with the um, uh managers directly on how to uh, have the right conversations, how to get uh, people living and, and breathing uh, what we stood for as a company. And so that was the history. That's how I got started. All right. That's really interesting. So I'm curious, a lot of what you talked about, especially at the end, like the specifics of the role, that would seem to me to be traditionally an HR type role. So I'm curious, how you guys knew to define that as culture, maybe what that meant to you and why you would call it a culture officer role rather than a personnel or human resources type role. Yeah, that is an outstanding question. I, I've, in fact, I was just meeting with a prospective client this morning. We were discussing that very thing. Um, the owner, the CEO, he was a, a very different type of thinker. And so he he always had this opinion and, and which is it's my opinion now too, is that HR um, especially in this size company, you got to remember like in that 50 to 300 people count, HR is, is primarily needs to be a lot of uh, regulatory policy, employee handbook, um, those kinds of things, compliance, uh, benefits administration. There's a lot of work that needs to be done there. He had this, he had this belief that it was more, uh, the HR on the people side was a leadership function. So managers and and executives uh, and, and managers at every level, honestly, Ken, we were teaching them these are the ways to engage people. And we got it right sometimes and we got it pretty wrong at times, too. And so that was how we made that differentiation. Uh, it seemed different than what other companies were doing. It worked incredibly well for us and it works incredibly well with the clients that I'm working with too. So if it isn't broke, I, I just decided I didn't want to fix it. I really like that separation. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. I'm interested in that. I, I like the idea that there's really two distinct roles for what's traditionally 
dumped into the HR bucket. There's that kind of regulatory compliance, benefits, policies, things like that. And then there's the growth and development of the team, the recruitment of new teammates and those things. And in my experience, you get one person and they either have a leaning toward one side or the other, and you get more of that thing that they lean toward. But unless you separate very intentionally those roles and maybe even have two different people, you don't get the benefit of both because they're both very important. They're just also very different. And yet we typically dump them both into HR. So that's that's really interesting. You guys well, were kind of ahead of the curve, I would say. To, to I think we were. That yeah. distinction and, and, and go forward that way. I think one of the things that made us unique too is um, where HR might typically report to the CFO or COO, somewhere in that area, uh, sometimes a CEO. Um, I actually, the HR department was part of the function of the culture and communications team that I oversaw. We took it very seriously. We were we were about training and development. And, and yet also um, as a function, just the way we separated those compliance, regulation, benefits, administration, all that also was, was part of my team too. Okay. You, you mentioned that you've got some things right and you've got some things wrong. I would love to hear examples of, especially the, what you got wrong. I think it's so instructive and we learn from hearing about other people's mistakes and maybe it's things that we can now avoid. So tell me some of the things that you guys did that didn't work. Yeah. So here's one of the, one of the biggest pitfalls I think that we made was not utilizing our culture to truly drive um, performance. Here, and here's the thing. This company was very unique. It was wildly successful. Even when we had some dysfunction going, we were growing extremely fast, very profitable, um, right space at the right time with, with our stuff. And we had very, very good systems and, and strategies in place. So what we got wrong, Ken, was that we were focusing a lot more on the feels, if you will. And I'll take responsibility for that. That that we looked at engagement, I think we were trying to make that sort of synonymous with how much you love your job, your passion for the job. And as a result, we were really great at, at, at creating fun activities and celebrations. Um, uh, we were kind of leading the way. We had a we had a game room. I mean, I played pool at two o'clock in the afternoon with the CEO. I also played pool at three o'clock in the afternoon with somebody who just got uh, off um, of their sh their shift in manufacturing. And the the benefit of that is we weren't just like getting to know, like having fun playing pool. We were getting to know each other, but we were also talking shop at times. And that was just one of the perks and benefits that we had. Uh, we had ping pong tournaments, bags tournaments. We had all sorts of like, you know, your typical potlucks. It, it worked well and I, and I would never fault a company for doing it. Where companies that I see now make the mistake is that they focus on that as culture all the while when there is um, things that are broken and aren't working right and managers that aren't holding people accountable or aren't doing their jobs well. And so we see these activities and these celebrations and the fun aspects of culture as say a disruption or a distraction from like, why don't we address this stuff? And, and it's one of the things that I really focus on when I'm working with my clients is to make sure, Hey, we're going to, I'm going to tell you the mistakes that I made when we did this. And, and we have to remember people need to know, they want to know how they're doing. If they don't know how they're doing. How can we expect them to be engaged in the work? 
we kind of made the mistake that engagement was, look, everybody's like a big family. We're having fun here. Again, not a bad thing, but we were missing even better things that could have really rocket shipped us uh, you know, further. I even made the statement today, had we had the process that I'm using right now in place, there's a strong chance that I would have still been there because the sky was truly, truly the limit. Well, great. I want to hear about that process. We'll do that on the other side of the break. You're with us on the Clarity Advisors show, and we'll be right back. Is your business where you want it to be or on track to get there? Clarity Advisors helps business leaders improve communication and get your team aligned and engaged for greater success. We specialize in helping you streamline your sales and operating systems to improve efficiency and grow your profits. Call or text Ken at 616-822-2998 to have a complimentary 12-minute call to see what some clarity could do for you. Okay, you're with us on the Clarity Advisors show. Welcome back. We're talking with America's culture officer, chief culture officer, James Mayhew. And James, I asked you to walk us through some mistakes you made uh, early on. Now share with us some things that you did well and, and walk us through that model that you have now. Okay. So the model I think is really important, Ken, and it's something that I knew that was missing that we didn't have in place previously. So we were really great. Uh, the things that we did really good at that company um, and that I still do and we carry through today was really getting serious about who are we as a company? So I, we call it, you know, you can call it the DNA of a company or whatever. Uh, and we look at it through the lens of core values, you know, vision and mission are, are less important to me, but what are our values? And then what are the behaviors of those values? So we look at it from core values, core behaviors. And that was a project that I started there that um, call it that phase one. It was really the test bed for that to happen. And I just realized I was having managers coming to me saying it's really hard when we have a core value that, and this was the real one, think big and make it happen. And I was having managers coming to me uh, who were like on the production line, manufacturing, or you know, uh, just some of the entry-level positions. And they're like, how do I coach my people on how to think big and make it happen? So what we were doing was right, but it was incomplete. And so the model now that we use is really rooted around ensuring that the right conversations are happening around the company. Uh, so we create a system, a structure for that to take place. And that really follows uh, through, through, we start to tie it to execution. We start to tie it to our strategies and every person knows what's expected of them. And our model creates a structure for those conversations between a manager and an employee to happen Essentially, what I'm trying to do is kind of flip the dynamic of, of the power between a manager and an employee, where in a lot of companies, managers are dictating, managing the person, um, uh, trying to lead the projects and manage the person. You know that quote. Uh, we want to flip that. And so our model actually gives them, uh, we have what we call performance agreements. We have progress meetings as parts of those. People understand what their primary job responsibilities are. And these progress meetings are really where it all hinges and comes together. So on a, on a monthly basis, managers are having true progress meetings with uh, direct employees. And one of the fundamentals of that is that the manager and the employee are both going to pre-score 
the employee. So the employee, if I'm the employee, I would pre-score myself and my manager would also pre-score. As a result, we come together in the meeting to finalize that. And that creates a series of conversations to happen. So for example, if one of our core values was say integrity, and one of our core behaviors was to do what you say, uh, and this is a, like real examples here, I might have done that 98 out of 100 times right as an employee, 90 times out of 100. But if we look back and, and I would say, hey, I'm, I'm meeting this or I'm missing this, that's really the only criteria that we have to evaluate that. You either meet it or you miss it. Well, I'm meeting it most of the time. But if there would have been an instance where uh, I made a mistake and I didn't follow through and it was with the same client twice and the clients or the customer is sort of upset and we hear about it, this is a time to have that conversation. And again, this isn't where we come down on it because I'm, I'm doing it at a high rate. It is really to just manage to like an ideal situation. We're not shooting for perfection, but we, we are shooting for excellence in this. And so if I've compromised the integrity of the company by somehow not delivering through missing a deadline, um, uh, you know, there's numerous factors into there. It could be poor communication, not returning a call on time, something like that. Uh, well, that needs to be addressed. I need to know that I've got to improve there. And so we've got a system now that from entry level to CEO, that, that there is a process in place for those conversations to occur. Okay. So those conversations are scheduled to be monthly and you've got very specific core behaviors that you're going to be scoring and having conversations around. That is correct. That is okay. correct. And that, and that really, again, that just creates this environment for the right conversations to happen. So that we're, we're taking the guesswork out of culture and, and follow through on goals, et cetera. Okay. Now I'm curious, you, you, again, that, that moniker, the chief America's chief culture officer, what is it about culture in your opinion that makes it so important that to your point earlier, you actually were elevated into the C-suite along with a CFO and a CEO. Now we're the chief culture officer because culture is that important. We need to elevate it into the C-suite. Why is it so important? You know, <laughs> it's a buzzword right now. Like everybody knows that we should be focusing on culture. And I think the 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 big epiphany that I've had over the years that that back when I originally had it in that role that I was touching, but not really taking ownership of because I didn't know what I didn't know. The, the biggest factor that culture, it's an accelerator for execution. It's an accelerator of, of achievement and of success. And we can look at sports teams as examples. We can look at companies as examples um, to say that when there is something wrong in a sports team environment, like in the locker room, where there's tension between coaches and players or on, you know, between players themselves, the best strategy uh, the best execution out on the field is it's not happening. Communication is compromised. And so our focus when I'm working with a company then is to, to basically close down. We need to identify some of those issues. Okay. We need to surface those problems because we can't correct what we don't know. And uh, as a result, we want to work really close to open up those communications, close those gaps and, and ensure that that performance is there. That to me is how I view culture as culture is performance. Performance is culture. Yeah. I've heard you on your, on your podcast, talk about that 
the culture is in service of getting to performance. You, you go out of your way, I think rightfully so, to make sure we don't minimize the need to actually execute and perform and get things done and serve our customers. That's what we're in business to do. It's the culture that's going to, as you said, now accelerate that and, and allow that to happen and improve that. But in the end, that is what we're trying to do. We're not culture for culture's sake. We're culture to execute and improve and serve customers. So I love that. Hey, I want to take you back. Uh, you, you mentioned some really quick growth at, at this company that you worked with earlier. How did that go? Talk a little bit about what it's like and what you did right and maybe what you did wrong to bring on that many people that quickly, that year over year, tremendous growth. And you got to bring people in, get them acclimated to the culture that you want to have, not lose the people that you already have. Those are some big challenges. Talk about what, what you did there. Yeah, it's huge challenges, huge. Uh, we, d- we did a number of things right, clearly, because we we were successful, but we also did a number of things quite wrong. And and one of the things that I think that we took for granted was the hiring process. And and can I would I would say this, this is one of those areas where it could be debated. I'm pretty strong and dug in on these two on these two primary responsibilities that every leader has. Number one, it's to hire well. Because we know that if we hire poorly, things really can get off track. We can disrupt teams. We can disrupt entire departments. Um, and if we hire right and we continue to bring in the right people, then we are are disrupting it. We're adding to that. And as you have A players, they don't want to be surrounded by other B or C players. They want to be surrounded by A players also. So it's really important to get hiring right. The second piece of that is, is that we want to cultivate and defend or protect the culture that we're trying to create. So what we did in a fast growing setting like that was we hired too quick at times. Um, I recruited somebody at a high level to come in. It was a friend. Uh, she said all the right things in an interview. Things didn't work out very well. And nine months later, I think, or, or 14 months, somewhere in a right around that one year time, uh, we, we had to let her go. We had to part ways. That was a very difficult thing to do. Um, uh, very hard, actually. And so the things that, that we learned from that was we need to be really great at our hiring process. If we if we cut cores, if we don't check references, if we just hire people that are like us, that also doesn't help. And we, we had that happen in one team that uh, was our manufacturing team that was just being built. We had one person doing all the interviews and hired like little versions of them. And when it came time to promote from within, we we knew we were lacking. So that was an issue. Um, we were not good at also preparing leaders to lead on day one. So I'm a classic example in that company where, James, hey, you're great. Uh, we want to move you into this content team lead role. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing and you'll be great. Your team already loves you. They're going to continue to love you. No, they didn't. They didn't because I was a poor manager. I didn't know how to create expectations well. I was really poor at accountability. In fact, I gave way too much autonomy. Later on, you know, we saw this happen over and over. We promote good high-level contributors, but we didn't set them up for success on that day one by giving them essential skills like how to set expectations or be, you know, proactive with accountability, uh, how to delegate, how to how to just have those conversations. We just didn't have the structure in place. And that was really the big mistakes we made. So we, we were adding people at an accelerated rate. We were, were getting better at it and we hired some real rock stars and then we missed a few times. 
that's the biggest advice that I can give you uh, if you're listening and you own a company. Uh, do not cut that hiring process in any way. Yeah, that that is such solid advice. And you've, you've delivered so many nuggets. I'm glad you were able to do right kind of that one thing because there's a lot of to-dos here and stuff that you've gone through. And I know you can go deeper on on all these things, but at, at that highest level, what's like the one thing that somebody could work on and not cutting corners and hiring is so important. Uh, I've talked a lot about it. We had guests talk about the the fit, the culture fit in a company trumping skills because you can teach the skills, but you've got to have that culture fit because those skills are going to decline anyway. You need to refresh them with new skills. But if you don't have a good fit and those skills decline, now you're 0 for 2. So yeah, I love that. And listen, I know you're always refilling yourself so that you can have more to pour into your clients. What is something, uh, some of the things that you're consuming these days, reading, listening to podcasts, audiobooks, real books, whatever it is? Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, uh, I'm actually in a study with another gentleman right now um, in the book, uh, Never Split the Difference um, by Chris Voss, which is a negotiation book. I've been going through this <laughs> page by page with him over the past several weeks. So uh, we've been a few times we haven't been able to meet, but that's one that I'm literally studying. Um, one that I, I read, uh, in fact, I just spoke with her. I, I have a copy of it right here beside me. It's called um, The Truth About Getting the Best from People. It was written by Martha Finney. And I think this latest edition goes back to 2012. Uh, but this is like a handbook. There's 69 truths here. And I have dog-eared this, highlighted it, uh, marked it up with pen, taken notes. And it, it's just 69 kind of head slapper uh, truths that CEOs or people in leadership need to remember about what it takes to lead people. And so that's a book that, that I'm actually kind of going back and working through again. Uh, podcasts, uh, man, I really enjoy, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of in this mode of really enjoying Gary V again, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. And I, I enjoy his take on things. I've seen the evolution of him over the years. And I, I just think he's got a very powerful message to to hear there. So I consume podcasts. I'm a, I have a fair amount of windshield time being in in the rural part of the country. Uh, I consume a lot of different podcasts. Um, the The reading can be difficult for me to make time for at times, but I will tell you the more I'm disciplined about that, um, I see the results of it. So that's just something I'm going to work harder on in 2023 coming into that year. Okay, great. Yeah, those are good, good, good uh, suggestions. We'll have all of those in the show notes. And I'm with you. When when something bears fruit, like, like reading, you struggle to do it, but you do it and you see the fruit of it. It's so encouraging to keep you going, right? When you can see something moving, it helps you just keep doing it. When there's nothing more uh, discouraging than when something's not showing results, you're like, oh, I keep doing this thing. It's not helping. So yeah, for you, and, and I just got to say to you that never split the difference. Such a good book. I literally reread that book every year. Like you mentioned, you know, the other book you go through and you market it up, dog ear, underline, highlighting. That's that book. Uh, Chris Voss did that same book. There's just so much wisdom in there. It's so, so practical. So many things that you can start doing to be a better communicator. Yeah, it's, it's theoretically about negotiation, but it's really about communication. It's about how to be heard and hear better and, and have better conversations with people so that you can move things forward. Oh, I, I love that book. Yeah, it's, it's tremendous. Yeah. 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 We'll get all those in the show notes. I appreciate that. So as we wrap up here, James, what, what, who would be somebody that 
that might want to reach out to you and what would be the best way to do that? Yeah. The, well, the best way to reach out to me would be, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Joe Peachy disciple. So we love the phone call. We love to talk to people. Um, so 319-929-2604. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, so it's James R. Mayhew on LinkedIn. Uh, there is a famous illustrator in England that, that bears the same name as me. So that can be confusing to people at times. Um, uh, also my website, jamesmayhew.com. And as far as who, you know, who I want to speak, well, I, I love to just start the conversation. You know, I'm the conversation guy. So, but if you are in a uh, management role and you know that there's some, some opportunities that you could do some things better in your teams, whether it's around improving how you communicate, um, and closing those gaps, or if it's around, um, you know, leadership and maybe you own a business and you're concerned with how, uh, leadership development is or not working at your company, uh, let's talk because so much of what I do, I'm, I'm, even though I'm Midwest based, we have clients around the country, zoom and, and other opportunities like this. Uh, and if you just want to talk about what a framework looks like that that models execution and culture and strategy and pulls that together, I'm really, really excited just to be able to share that with them too. So, so um, yeah, uh, just talked to the client yesterday in the Chicago area, a larger company. And so we're just looking at that little entry point. We're talking about behavior and communication, and uh, it'll be really interesting just to see where it evolves from there. And James, you were uh, humble enough to not mention it, but you've got a great podcast yourself and you have guests on there and sometimes it's just you. Uh, mention the name of that and we'll put that also in the show notes. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ken. Yeah. I, it's funny. I space it up, but it's called Lead Through Values. The word through is spelled T-H-R-U and you can find that on anywhere you consume podcasts. Fantastic. And again, we'll, we'll have the, all that stuff in the show notes so so people can find you and connect with you. Uh, Coach, this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate your time on this. So much wisdom, so many good nuggets. Uh, it's going to be great for the audience. I know they'll get a lot out of it. So thanks so much for joining me. And uh, we'll, you and I will talk soon. Thank you, Ken. It's been great. All right, good. So with that, it brings us to the end of another Clarity Advisor show. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Clarity Advisor show. Clarity Advisors is a speaking, training, and consulting firm specializing in helping you simplify your sales and operating systems to improve efficiency and grow your profits. Connect with Clarity Advisors today to learn more about how they can help you improve communication and get your team aligned and engaged for greater success.